Titus chapter 2, if you'll join me there, Titus chapter number 2, and uh, uh, the title may be a little bit deceiving in a sense, it says aged women, we are going to talk about that, we're going to finish up though the aged men as he describes here, and uh, as we've already discussed and looked at, and so Titus chapter 2, and uh, verse number 1, speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, and then we looked here at verse number 2, we've talked about in detail these characteristics, we've seen uh, how the older men are supposed to be sober they're supposed to be grave they're supposed to be temperate and then as we looked at last week they're supposed to be sound in faith they're supposed to be sound in charity and love and so boy great study last week about those last two being coupled together and a sound in faith healthy in what you believe but also being able to impart it in love and First uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 13 and being able to speak the truth in love and we understood that people probably aren't going to care what you know until they know what that you care and uh, so very true and so uh, it's imperative for older men to be able to speak the truth in love and to be sound in love and in faith and so we've seen this we've expounded upon what that means and so now we come to this last one we understood that the term sound as it is found in verse number two applies to both faith charity and now this last one he says we are to have in older man you're supposed to have sound in patience or sound patience you see it there in verse number two patience now you might say all the wives of the older men say amen patience you don't drive with him he needs patience uh, you're not at home with him. You, uh, you don't see him with the remote from the television. Can't find a station to stop on. He needs patience. Now, well, hang on a second. That's not exactly what this terminology means. Uh, our modern understanding or initial definition of the English word patience is really not the best representation of the Greek word here in this text. You see, to understand it, let's look at a couple definitions from Webster's Dictionary that would have uh, more closely uh, given us the understanding that the translators in the King James Version had when they used the word patience. The term patience here, specifically the Greek word, means endurance, without murmuring or fretfulness. So enduring without murmuring, complaining and, and whining about something, uh, enduring. It, it, it's the actor quality of waiting long for justice or expected good. And I love this, without discontent. Without discontent. Being contented, as we would like to say. Uh, it, it means perseverance. A constancy in labor and uh, exertion, effort, work. I love this description. Uh, you see, in our modern understanding, we tend to attach patience to people or others, and certainly that's needed. Older men ought to be patient with other people. They ought to be an example of someone who is patient in their relationships, in their interactions with others, and certainly that is true. But in the context, Paul is saying that the older men of the church should be healthy and well in their perseverance and endurance of life and all it brings. Paul's saying that the older believers, the men specifically, uh, ought to be uh, men who have learned to endure hardship without throwing in the towel. They've come to accept disappointment or failure at times. Uh, they've come to, to learn to be satisfied and content regardless of unfulfilled plans and desires. Literally, they are known and have a characteristic of remaining faithful. They may have faced all that the world throws at them, and yet they're still standing for God. They're still remaining faithful to a faithful God. That's literally what Paul calls the older man to be. 
sound in endurance and patience as it's sta- uh, stipulated here. Literally, that they, they have learned to grow gracious. Uh, they have learned to, uh, to live in such a way that, yes, they might have weakness. They might have opposition in their life. There may be difficulties. They may be misunderstood. Uh, they may even be underappreciated. And yet they remain faithful. They're not quick to lose heart, to not become discouraged easily. Uh, they don't stop when the going gets tough. They don't disappear when hardship appears. Uh, We might describe it as those who they have a confidence and a perseverance rooted in the Lord and their relationship with Him and the strength that He imparts. We have been reminded time and time again that the joy of the Lord is your strength. An older man, an older believer has learned through the ages and through the time spent walking with God the joy of that relationship. Boy, that is my strength. I can endure anything. I can be faithful in the face of anything. That's the sound in patience, this endurance, this perseverance in the face of all that the that life throws at him. Literally, um, we might say this, they stand as testimonies of waiting on the Lord. They don't slip. They don't fall. They're constant. Um, one of my favorite historical figures, forgive me, he fought for the South, Stonewall Jackson. And the description of him at the Battle of Manassas or Bull Run, I, I visited there where he was on that hill and, and where the other regiments, the, the leaders of them pointed to Stonewall and says, hey, look, uh, or uh, Jackson. And they said, look, there stands Jackson like a stone wall. Literally, that is the picture here of an aged believer. The older men standing like a stone wall. Man, did you see, uh, man, I can't believe you went through that this week. I can't believe you've had to go through that and you've suffered through that. And yet they remain faithful to the Lord. And at my terminology, they keep on keeping on for the Lord. They have a testimony of waiting and not being weary and well-doing, of serving the Lord come what may. They are the Moseses of the Old Testament. They are the Caleb's and the Joshua's. They're the Samuel's, the older saints of all ages that have endured life contentedly, remaining true and faithful to the Lord by continuing to walk in faith in the face of great adversity. I'm thankful for the group of men that we have at Fostory Baptist Church. Many deaths could be said of them. They've endured great things. They've faced great hardship. They've gone through much of what life has thrown at them, and yet they're remaining faithful to the Lord. They're standing fast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Because what? They know that their labor is not in vain. They understand that God is faithful and that time spent in His presence has, has built within them a faithfulness to God. And so it reminds us of the need, as Paul says today. See, today, Christ's church needs men who are rock solid. They stand like a stone wall. They're stable anchors in the ch- changing tides of modern secularism and easy prosperity Christianity. What do we mean by this? Not the prosperity ga- gospel per, so, per se, but the reality is this. There's a lot of folks that want to become Christians to get out of it what they can. 
literally thinking that everything is going to go perfectly well if i just trust in god everything's going to that's not what the bible preaches and that's not true christianity but we do know this that boy if you come to know jesus christ as your personal savior you'll have purpose and guidance for life and you will enjoy the blessings of the creator of God in heaven. He has promised in response to our obedience, our fellowship, our relationship with Him, that He is going to heap blessings upon us. He'll give us grace and strength to face everything you could imagine facing in life. And the promise of heaven is ever there. And so it is. These men have come to understand that we need rock-solid men who have stood the test of time. They've remained faithful, and now they can be the lighthouses and the harbors and the anchors that the church needs for the decades ahead. Can I tell you, one of the greatest influences in the community around us is the older men of Fostoria Baptist Church. You've lived in the community, you've worked in the community, you've worked at your shop and wherever you are, and you have remained faithful, you have remained true to God, and your neighbors notice, your co-workers notice, and they're like, wow, you've gone to that church for 20, 30, 40 years, you've been a wow, and they watch and they notice, they are sound in patience, endurance, perseverance. I've seen things happen in your life that, that other men, it would have laid them low. They would have tossed in the towel. They, they would have been tempted to take their own life, whatever the case may be. And yet you have a testimony before others. You can be a lighthouse. But the question is this, will you be that man? Are you going to stay true, contentedly, graciously, enduring all, persevering with a constancy in your labor for the Lord and your example for others to follow? It takes a determination. I'm grateful that the men of our church, boy, I see a whole lot of determination. I, I, I see a lot of, uh, some might call it stubbornness, but I like to call it steadfastness. You know, men can be stubborn. We admit it, okay, ladies? But I like it spiritually. You know what's called steadfastness? That you are steadfast following after God, and you're going to stand tall for the Lord. You're going to be steadfast, graciously enduring all, preserving with constancy in your labor for the lord staying true and faithful i'll tell you we desperately need older men that are sound in patience who are committed to being the rock solid anchors and lighthouses that the church can lean on during difficult times so i asked the older men gathered here will you be that man now let me make a point here we only get older men who are such who endure and persevere, who are sound in patience, when we have younger men who commit to being that now. You're only going to get older men who are steadfast and endure and persevere. You only have men like that who are older when at a young age, when their 20s, their 30s, and their 40s, they are saying, listen, I, I have set my path. I have set my direction. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. They've committed themselves. They said, no matter comes what may, it could be the best of times. It could be the worst of times. It does not matter what, uh, what opposes us, what challenges us, what comes after me, what if my world is turned upside down. If I could rename myself Job, it does not matter. I'm going to stay true and faithful to the Lord. And boy, when you start thinking like that, you start determining that when you're in your 20s and your 30s and your 40s, it'll carry over to you're in your 50s and your 60s and your 70s, and you become an older man, an older believer, a one of those column men in the local church that the church can lean on, that the church can look to.
but it starts when you're younger. So the question is, will you persevere? With God's help and strength, will you remain steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the things of the Lord? May I tell you, older men, older believers, we need you to do that. Your wives need you to do that. Your church needs you. Your children need you. Your grandchildren need you. And this world needs you, whether you realize it or not. Men who are sound in patience, enduring, persevering, no matter what life brings. It brings to a close this understanding of verse 2, that the aged man be sober, grave, and temperate, sound in faith, sound in charity, sound in patience. I trust it's a challenge to each of us. Now we move on. Notice it, verse number 3. The aged women, the older saints, as we would qualify before, as we talked about what is an aged man, an older man, those who maybe have been saved for 25, 30 years, older in age for sure. Well, there might be some truth to the old adage, ladies, that behind every good man is a better woman. So Paul here mentions the older women. I don't know if that's true. We won't argue the point. But I will tell you this. Every church, every local assembly needs older women who people can look up to spiritually. They need older women. That church does. Women who can prove to be rich spiritual resources for others. We need that. The church needs that. We need older men who will, and older ladies now who will, who will toe the line, who will set an example, who can be there for the generations to come. And like older male believers, the Bible's very clear, and don't miss it, that older female women believers are to be reverenced and held in high esteem. An idea that flows throughout the scripture. One of the things I, I think really brings it into perspective, Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 2, he says, he's talking about when you rebuke different people in the church, a, a, a young younger woman as a sister, younger man as a brother, and so forth and so on. When he comes in verse 2 to an older woman, uh, do you remember what he says? He says, rebuke an older, uh, an older believer, an older lady as a mother. Now, I don't know about you. I don't like the idea of rebuking my mom. That doesn't sound like too much fun. So think about it for a moment. How would you do that? How would you go about telling your mom she's wrong? Pastor, we just don't do that. That doesn't happen. No, no. How would you go about rebuking your mother? Because that's literally the Bible. Paul speaking to Timothy puts the older woman, the older lady believer in the church on the same level as a mother. Now think about it. And I just thought about it. How would you go about doing that? Well, I think you would do it gingerly. I think you would do it gently. I think you would do it lovingly. I think you would do it privately, humbly, respectfully, and graciously. See, now all of a sudden, you, you, you put it into context, and those scriptures are clear. Hey, the older lady saint needs to be held up and esteemed in high respect like a mother. And boy, mothers and, and fathers are held in high esteem uh, throughout. We're to honor them and obey them, respect our mothers. In the Old Testament, boy, you, you remember, children, you might not like hearing this, but reality was in the Old Testament, if you struck your mother or father, you were worthy of death. Okay, so parents don't use that over their head. That's Old Testament, okay? 
But literally, that's, I mean, that's, what the, that's what the law called for. Why? Now, you say, what's the point of that, Pastor? Well, the point is this. God holds fathers and mothers in high esteem. And so here, the context is telling us, ah, rebuke an older lady like a mother. So you ought to respect her, too. You ought to treat her with respect and esteem. See, the godly older women are vitally important within the church. That's why Paul is led here to write about it. Write about you, ma'am. So the question before you tonight, if you might fall in this description, will you be willing to commit to listening carefully? To honestly evaluating your own life to assess whether it matches up or if you are wanting in some area, both tonight and the Sunday nights, to follow when we analyze this verse? Are you willing to do that? If you're saying, hey, I'm willing to, boy, if the Lord opens my eyes and there's an area in which I can do better at and and I can uh, fulfill what the commands of Scripture are here, boy, God's going to be pleased with your attitude. And truthfully, such an attitude would make you an extra special blessing to our church. Would put you in a position where you can just be uh, a great benefit to our church. Let's look at verse number three. Let's jump, jump in. The aged women, likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. And we'll just read the very first part of verse four because it, it kind of carries on that they may teach the young women and it lists several things there. Obviously, tonight we won't get into too much. Let's see simply the first statement here. He says this, Be in behavior that becometh holiness. Again, we've seen this word picture before, the word becometh. Paul used it a few verses earlier. Remember what it means. When he says becometh, it literally means befitting of. It represents well. It fits well. And he says here, an older lady is supposed to have behavior that is befitting, that fits well with, what's the term? Holiness. Holiness. So he ties it together. So we would describe it this way. Her living, her behavior, the words and deeds of an aged woman are to be befitting of holiness. Now that's a pretty high level, isn't it? That that sets the bar pretty high. Your behavior, your actions, your words. And and we understand this isn't just something for the aged woman. We're all called to be ye perfect and holy, even as your Father which is in heaven is. So we understand that. But Paul's saying, listen, ladies, you have a great responsibility to put forth an example of holiness. To set it forth. In decades gone by, and maybe for our younger generation here, you might not recognize the term. But in generations gone by, decades of the past, we would reference this as a lady's deportment. A term meaning how she carried herself. Her behavior as she displayed it before others and what she presented to others. And literally, that's kind of like what Paul is referring to when he writes behavior. It is literally addressing, hey, you need to carry yourself in a way that reflects holiness. How you act, how you move, how you interact with others. I love the Greek word here that's translated as behavior. No, it's only used once in the entirety of the scriptures, and obviously it's in this passage. Now, whenever that happens, I find it tremendously interesting that Paul or another author of the New Testament pulls out one Greek word that's not used anywhere else, and he sticks it in a passage. So, boy, I want to ask, and I want to find out why. 
There's other words in the New Testament. In fact, Paul uses some translated as behavior to describe similar things. So, so why did he choose this particular Greek word? What is unique about it that Paul would use it? Well, as it's only used the once in the Scripture, it behooves us to search out how it was used in the secular tense too. In other words, in Paul's day, how was it used in common uh, interactions? Common conversations, however you want to say. Well, we're told this about the word behavior, the Greek word. Literally, it, 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 it carries the idea of priest-like. It was used in Paul's day to describe priest-like. Specifically, regularly used to refer to a position which was appropriate for holiness. So it was a term attached and to describe priest-like. And boy, if you're a Jew, you, you think of a priest being holy. They were set aside. They were separated. They were sanctified for the service of God and to represent God. They were, they were God's chosen, in a sense, from Aaron on down. And so it's this picture of priest-like and regularly used to refer to that which is appropriate for a position of holiness. What's Paul saying? Well, it represents and reflects purity. And holiness. How they conduct themselves reflects well upon the holiness of God. They are to live separated and sanctified lives. Having discernment and discretion to remain untouched and unstained from the world and its allurements. Literally be an example of holy living. So the older women here, you ought to be examples in holiness. Holy living, uh, unstained, untouched by the world. Not following after, not deceived by it. I, I think Paul also uh, expounds upon this in another one of his passages. And literally, if he had the time, if he were preaching tonight, I believe Paul would reference something else he wrote. He, he would say they have learned and they demonstrate understanding what Paul wrote to Timothy. So let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2, if you will. 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul addresses the same thing here and, and kind of from a different direction, but challenges us in the same area, in the same way. So let's look at 1 Timothy chapter chapter number two let's look it down at verse number nine as we do let's make a few observations first timothy chapter number two look at verse number nine in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Verse 11, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. Oh boy, what a fun passage. Contentious at times, yes. But I do believe that Paul would say, hey, let's look at this. Hey, we're talking about older women, aged women in the church, and how they're supposed to represent holiness and be an example. Yes, already we've read that they're supposed to teach the younger generation. So let me say a few things about the passage. See, Paul would say that such a woman in Titus chapter 2, she has learned a few truths. One of these truths is this. As she has walked with the Lord, she has spent time exposed to the Word of God and the Holy Spirit indwelling her, she's learned a few things. One of the things she's learned is this, uh, this simple thought. How a woman dresses herself will either draw others' attentions and thoughts to all the wrong things or will leave others' attentions and thoughts to be given to the right things. It's a true statement. 
You can sit there and argue all you want. You can try to reason it away with logic. But I'll tell you, my friend, how you dress will either draw people's attention to the wrong things in their thoughts, or how you dress will leave them free for their attention and thoughts to be drawn to the right things. And the passage says this. You're to adorn yourself with shamefacedness and sobriety in such a way that they think about, wow, she loves the Lord. She's serving the Lord. Her good works, her godliness is what's, uh, even through my dress, I'm supposed to point to what's in my heart. An inward man, an inward uh, new creature that follows after Christ, that reflects who he is. In other words, by my dress, I'm not wanting to uh, draw their attention to the wrong things, whether it be lust or other things. Literally, I'm drawing my, their attention to how I live. And how I live is reflective of what's in my heart, that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That I am striving to be holy and pure and godly in all things. There is no doubt today that there is a great need for modestly dressed women. That's an obvious statement. Women that dress in such a way that reflects purity, discreetness, holiness. Can we just be blunt a little bit? The fact is this. See, the world encourages women to dress in revealing ways, but God encourages women to dress in reflective ways. Reflective of what? Holiness, purity, godliness, a life given to good works that glorifies and honors God. Even in my dress, it's supposed to reflect that? Yes, that's what the Scriptures say. That's the principle from here in 1 Timothy is that my living, my dress, every part of me reflects holiness and, and purity and even the beauty of God as a creator. See, when this passage speaks of adorn themselves, now, I hate the misinterpretations of it. I hate the misappropriation of it. When he says adorn themselves, it's not an ultimatum against or a barring of braiding one's hair or wearing gold or pearls or costly fashion. If you try to read that into that and say, oh, a lady shouldn't wear any of that, that, that's a misguided and an ignorant interpretation of the passage. See, when Paul writes of adorning oneself, he's questioning and addressing the motive and purpose behind what you do. What are you dressing for? What principles do you subscribe to when you dress, when you choose out fashions? Hey, young ladies, teenage ladies, can I challenge you to listen carefully? See, the older women are, are to be examples of this. They are the ones who have learned over time, wait a minute, I don't want to dress like the world. I don't want to look like the world. I don't want to fall into the thinking of the world. I want to follow the mind of Christ. And even in my dress and in my fashion choices and how I dress my body, the Bible says that I am to reflect these things, uh, not to dress in such a way to reveal myself as the world might tell us to do. So the question is, and Paul's challenging you and I, is it in keeping with the principles laid out in this passage? By your dress, what is it that you want people to notice about you? What do you want them to think about you when they look at you? Do you simply want them to think, wow, they, they spend a lot of money on, on clothes and jewelry and go in the hair salon and they only buy the best things? And, and boy, that, you want them to know that you are the fashion queen? Do you want people simply 
to think that, oh man, wow, she should be a model. She's a, a, a fashion goddess. Oh, she knows fashion. She always wears what's in style, what's in vogue, what the going trends are. She literally lives for fashion. And she wants to show off things. Do you dress to be the envy of other women? Do you dress to be the object of lust of men? Or do you dress with the principle of honoring God? Reflecting His holiness and purity. What is it that really determines your fashion choices? See, the passage is really challenging ladies about what you think, what's your motive when you dress, and does it uphold the adorning principles laid out here? Now listen, don't mistake it. It is not the idea of going in and saying, well, man, I'm just going to dress like a monk. I'm just going to wear a robe every day in, in all fashion. And you don't walk into uh, the, the Kohl's or Walmart or JCPenney or wherever you... I guess JCPenney is maybe not around anymore. Anyway, uh, wherever you shop, okay, maybe it's on, online. It, 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 you hold up everything. Is this holy? Is this pure? And everything else. That's not what we're speaking of. But what we are saying is this. When you think of fashion, are you impressed upon, does it reflect well on my God? Is it going to help me encourage someone else to be holy and pure and right? It, it is how I dress myself, is it upholding the modesty? And is it living up to these principles? Those principles ought to come to play when we dress. And frankly, it's not just about women, it's for men too. For Christians of all ages. See, when you and I commit to being a representative of the Lord, reflecting Him in this world to be His ambassadors, every aspect of who we are ought to reflect that. Holiness ought to touch everything. Every aspect of your life and every part of your being, it ought to. Here is literally the challenge laid out before us. The challenge laid before you and as ladies, something that older women should have a grasp on, is to dress in such a matter, manner that is modest, discreet, it reflects God, not revealing your body, and in such a way that presents godliness, not worldliness. Godliness, not worldliness. And, and, and by chance, to make sure that I'm not misquoted, by all means, dress well. Look beautiful. Look sharp. Be put together. Buy current fashions. Do your hair. Wear accenting uh, jewelry and other accessories. But here's the point. Do it with the right end goal of reflecting holiness and presenting godliness. Let those principles come to play even in what's in your closet. What you wear. Paul is saying as he reflects from Titus chapter 2 and even what he wrote to Timothy, a pastor here, he says, hey, teach the women to adorn themselves this way. Not, not to have the right motive, the right heart behind why they dress and how they dress. Literally, I, I think if we were to boil it down, we could say he's saying this. Maintain that which will last longer than your clothes, your makeup, and your earthly beauty. Maintain your inward holiness and purity. Maintain that and let that come out through even what you wear on the outside. Let the heart of a uh, godly, 
holy follower of Christ come out. Make one final observation about this passage. Verse 11. Maybe you cringed when we read it. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. Now let me put your mind at ease. Don't take it the wrong way. It's not a mandate to keep your mouth shut and remain submissive no matter what. And men, let me challenge you. Don't use the verse as a club. Don't beat your wife or women over the head with it. That's not its intention. In fact, that's a poor interpretation if you take that. It really is. In fact, it does a disservice to the Lord. What do we see here? Well, really, there's two applications to the verse. First, as you look at verse 11 in in the, the context of the entire passage, it's primarily referring to the assembly, uh, the gathering together of the, the church family, the local assembly, the body of believers coming together. That's the context of the whole passage. And God has put an order within the church that a pastor as the authority is a man and only men are to teach and preach men and women combined together. That flows in the next verse. You see it, verse 12. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. It's literally talking about the teaching and the preaching ministry. It's talking about uh, a woman shouldn't stand up and preach to men, to teach to men. And uh, certainly other passages throughout the Scripture affirm it. So understand the context. When it's speaking of silence here, uh, its use of the term silence, Paul's is, is not to be one that teaches and preaches to men and women, but rather be a studious student. Learning in quiet submission and then putting it into practice, living it out. And, and certainly then, what do we already find in the passage in Titus chapter 2? You're to teach the younger women. Some of our best teachers at Fostoria Baptist Church are women, ladies. And they do a fantastic job, tremendous job, teaching younger ladies, teaching children, and helping them to know God, love God, and live for God. We understand the context, and we understand what this passage is teaching. So, so don't misconstrue it. Don't take it that it's saying something it isn't. Secondly, I love this statement because this is true. Secondly, important to note, the Greek word here translated as silence is the same, it comes from the same root word and the same Greek word basically as another word in verse number two. Look back in verse number two. It says this, for kings, the prayer should be made for kings and for all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet, and notice this, and peaceable life. That's the same Greek root word that this comes from. So when it says silence, it doesn't mean silence like you and I say, like, zip your lip. Like we tell children, nope, nope, can't say a thing, can't say a thing, let's play the quiet game. That's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about stop talking, close your mouth. No, 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 it's talking about being peaceable. Literally a quietness about you, a quality to have uh, an aged woman, an older believer, uh, ought to have this down is what Paul is saying. It doesn't mean that you never open your mouth in the assembly. I'm thankful that when we have praises and testimonies, uh, there are ladies who give testimonies and praises. There's, there's times when ladies give prayer requests. Hey, th- that's not what it's speaking against. That is not what this is condemning at all. If that were the case, we'd not do, do that. That's not what it's saying. It's speaking of peaceableness. It's the idea of not creating a disturbance by, by interruption, by arguing, interjecting yourself, challenging authority publicly, or attempt to teach or preach inappropriately. Really, to simplify the thought, Paul's saying this. You are self-controlled 
And you submit to the teaching within the local assembly, the authority set up by God, and you are peaceable within the assembly. You're peaceable. You say, well, why is that such a big deal for a woman to be? For especially an older woman in church, why is it a big deal for them to live peaceably? For them to, and uh, peaceably be in submission to authority and everything else? Because you, you tell me, if mama ain't happy, ain't no one happy. Now, on a serious note, you know where I've seen a lot of problems come in churches? From non-peaceable women. You may not like it, but it's reality. Whether it be behind the scenes or whether it be publicly, unpeaceable women who have not learned to be in submission to authority quietly have created uproars, have created division in churches, have created problems. And that's not to say that there haven't been unpeaceable men the same way. But I'll tell you, maybe more than we honestly want to admit, there are some ladies who are unpeaceable, even Christians, who wreak havoc in churches. They can wreak havoc in families. They can wreak havoc in other places and ministries. I don't say it unkindly. I say it pointedly because the Scriptures speak to it. Here's what probably happened. Many historians and commentators believe this, and I think this is a great testimony to what Christianity does. Many of you are well aware of this fact. See, when Christianity came into this place, specifically in Titus, it was in Crete and other places that had other religious institutions set up. When these ladies, women, were saved out of these other religions and these other things, they came from a place that was very oppressive. Uh, What we find about Christianity, it is one of the most freeing, liberating religions for both genders. Okay. You need to study, if you don't believe it, study the Scriptures compared to the Koran, compared to many other things. It is liberating, liberating for both genders. Let me just take a point, an example. If you have any idea about Orthodox um, Islam, the fact is this, men and women don't even worship in the same building or the same room. Well, if it's in the same building, then there's another room off to the side that the women go and worship. And certainly they're not allowed to talk. They're not allowed to do hardly anything within that. And so you can imagine in Paul's day when he's writing this, there were some ladies who were, who were saved, came to put their faith and trust out of Christ out of oppressive religious systems. And now they're tasting liberty in Christ. And they're treated like a brother and sisters. And, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a family atmosphere. They're no longer put under the foot. They're no longer told to be quiet. Stop talking everything else and so now they're experiencing a little liberty and many historians and commentators believe that that some times came up where in the local assembly they uh, that difference between night and day of their experience and liberty they began to take advantage of that liberty they abused that liberty And, and speaking up in the assembly trying to maybe whatever usurp authority as he says in verse 12 uh, they created disturbances within the church chaos within services possibly interrupting and upsetting the church in its service and paul is simply given an admonition in this context say listen hey, hey let the woman learn in silence quietness peaceableness with all subjection have a submissive spirit and submissive attitude be peaceable uh, the older i get the more i'm around people the more I appreciate where the Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers. Because if there's anything this world needs, it's peacemakers. 
Not compromisers, but peacemakers. And I'm grateful that as Christians, guess who we know? The Prince of Peace. I'm thankful for that. And let me say something as we bring this to a close. I do so much appreciate an older woman, believer, more than you can imagine. One who has learned to be gracious, Christ-like, quietly submissive, and a student of the Word of God. And I am so thankful for older women. I, I, I remember seeing at times growing up in church, and I, I knew there's older women. And you know what, what I admire sometimes about older women? Now listen, don't, don't take this wrong, please. But what I admire about older women sometimes is their wisdom knowing when to speak up and when not to. I have seen it on ladies' face, and I tell you, some great godly women, gracious, who they're with their husband, and their husband says something that ain't right, ain't true. And boy, that precious older saint lady, she just keeps her mouth shut. Oh, she could speak up, and she could correct her husband, and I'll tell you, she would have been right. There's a graciousness there. There was a peaceable submission there. Now, she may have brought it up later, and I'll tell you that I'm grateful when there's times when my wife says, hey, did you realize you said this? I'm like, no. <laughs> you realize you said this wrong? Absolutely not. <laughs> and she's pointed out at home and, and helped me tremendously. What a blessing that is. But I, I sure am thankful for gracious older women. Because I'll tell you, I met a whole lot of older women in the world that speak their mind all the time. I don't mean that unkind. I'm just telling you. A, a life without the Holy Spirit and a learned graciousness, as Paul describes here, whoo, that's tough. That's tough. I sure am thankful for older women who've learned to reflect godliness and holiness. I, I would tell you, such women are greatly respected, appreciated, and vital to the local church. When you act in such a way, when you fulfill these verses as the one in, in Titus chapter 2, you, you are a great reflection of holiness, godliness, a life given to good works and glorifying your heavenly Father. See, he, Paul is intimating in Titus chapter 2, these older women have a good grasp on this passage in 1 Timothy chapter 2. They have learned how to adorn themselves. They've learned the things to emphasize and the principles to live by, both in how they dress and how they live and how they act. They have demonstrated it. Literally, they have learned how to present themselves in holiness. They've even learned how to walk, talk, sit, stand, and interact in a way that bespeaks holiness. And I would say that the concluding statement of this first part of how he describes an older woman to be, this idea of behavior that is becoming holiness, I'd put it this way. She is a model member within the assembly. Not causing an uproar in any way. Not causing disturbances with either her actions or her mouth. But rather, she is a calming influence. Don't you love that? A lady who's learned graciously to be that calming influence in a family, in a church. She is often the voice of sound, biblical reason when it is needed. She has great discretion about when to speak. And a crucial contributor to the health of the local church. 
Can I tell you, my friend, Fostoria Baptist Church needs such women. Older lady saints who pick up the torch and carry it are faithful to God as He is faithful to them, who are reflective of God's holiness, His purity, and godliness across the board. Young ladies, could I encourage you, take these things to heart, strive and pursue being such a lady, a child of God.